Well, hey, my name is John Trapp, and I'm the campus minister, campus minister here for RUF at Texas. This is your first time here. Um, man, we're so glad to have you. Thanks for, thanks for coming out. Um, you may be wondering what this is that you got invited to. Um, what is RUF? Uh, RUF is a place we are, uh, we're for people who believe and for people who don't believe. Um, for, if you're not a Christian and you're here uh, tonight, what RUF is for you, it's a place to come and not be judged and to wrestle with the claims of the Bible, particularly the claims about who the Bible says Jesus is. Um, at RUF, we study the Bible really carefully because we think that it's God's Word, and we think that it's authoritative in our lives. And so, if you're not a Christian and you're here, the, and the reason I say that this is a place where you should be safe from judgment is this. If you're a Christian and you're here, this is a place where we come to study the Bible and we hear and remember God's grace for sinners. See, what a Christian is, is not someone who has their life all together and looks perfect. What the Bible says is a Christian is somebody who recognizes that they need a Savior. Which means that you recognize that you're messed up. That you're not right. You're not perfect. And, and so what that means is if you're a Christian, you have, you have no reason to be proud you have no reason to be proud over anyone else because entrance into the Christian faith, into believing in Jesus, is admitting that you don't have anything to be proud about. Admitting that you're not right, that you need him to help you and to save you and to make you right before God's sight. So, we're all in the same boat. We're all in need of God's grace. And the story of the Bible is really God's rescue plan for people who need grace. It's a story about God's plan of rescue for saving people who need saving for sinners. And we're, what we're looking at this semester is the book of Revelation. Um, it's also called the Apocalypse of John. And I know that that's a book that m- maybe gives you the heebie-jeebies. We've talked about that some, that Some of that is because the book of Revelation has been used in some really unhelpful ways throughout church history. And maybe if you're a Christian, you even have a little bit of an aversion towards the book of Revelation. You're like, I just kind of like skip over that and like stay in the gospel stories. But I actually think that the book of Revelation is really helpful for this reason. We we, we said that Revelation in the, the Greek word for Revelation is apocalypsis, which means unveiled or um, revealed, uncovered. And so the purpose of Revelation, it's not meant, even though it's going to use all of this imagery from the Old Testament and from biblical times, it's going to use this imagery, it's not meant to confuse you. But what it is, it's almost, it's more than like a, a book of words, it's a picture book. It's like my kid's picture book. That the Apostle John is giving us these images to show us this is how the world really is. I'm going to reveal to you or unveil or uncover. This is how things really are. And we talked about uh, the last couple of weeks about, first, this is who Jesus is. Remember, in Revelation 1, it starts out with the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we said that when John says that, he's not announcing just 
the title of the book. He's announcing the topic that Revelation is all about revealing who is Jesus. And tonight, what I want you to see is that Revelation also reveals what are we really like? Who are we? Um, and look, if you really love somebody, you can tell them hard things to hear. You know, like, you know when you're sitting with someone and, I don't know, maybe they're eating like a spinach salad? And mid, like mid-dining, you notice that part of that spinach is just totally snagged up into like the root of their gum. Now, if it's somebody that you know really well, if it's a job interview, what do you do? You better prepare for that. It might happen, right? You might, because you don't know, you don't really know them very well. You're not really sure. You're like, hey, you look ridiculous right now. Can I have a job? Um, but if you know someone and they know you, you're going to tell them. Like, I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm five and a half years younger than my sister. I'm eight years younger than my brother. So that means, like, I kind of went through high school alone. So when I did something stupid, there was no one there to tell me, John, what are you doing? For half of a year, before my brother and sister came home from college, I dressed like a backstreet boy. I did. Like, my whole first semester of my ninth grade year, I, dre- I had, like, the gel, like, popped up like this. I had some kind of, like, choker thing. I wore turtlenecks. I asked my parents for leather pants for Christmas. I'm not kidding. And then my brother gets home from um, work, um, and he's like, what are you doing? Stop this right now. Why did he do that? Because he loves me. And I was, uh, let's just say I'm not, I wasn't, maybe some people can rock the Backstreet Boy look. I should not be one of those people. And he told me a hard truth because he loved me. And look, the Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is God telling his church, hard truths about them. And that's interesting. He's not coming to people who don't believe and saying, you guys are terrible. He's coming to the church. He's coming to the church and saying, let me show you something that's true about you. And he, he talks about seven different churches. And we're going to focus in on, just because we have, you know, we're kind of we don't have time to go through every single one for the semester. We're going to look at the last church, the church of Laodicea, because I think that they relate a lot to the, the University of Texas experience. Uh, I think they're particularly relevant to UT students. So um, let me read from Revelation. I'm going to read a, a little bit from chapter 1 just so you can kind of know what's going on, and then we'll, we'll get to um, where he directs his address to the Laodiceans. And just, uh, just so I can give credit where credit's due, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm being helped out here by Brian Habig, who's a pastor who's preached on this before. Um, so Revelation chapter 1, I'll start in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. This is John. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, Jesus clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Verse 20. Jesus tells him, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so we know that he's standing here in the midst of these churches, and now he begins addressing them. Listen to what he says to the church of Laodicea, verse 14. 
And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not, realized, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and be with him. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is God's word. Y'all pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us and that you have revealed yourself to us through it and through the person of Jesus Christ. Pray that you would help me now. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at this three different angles. First, the characters in this address that Jesus makes. The characters. Secondly, the message that he gives. And then third, the invitation. The characters, the message, and the invitation, all right? So first off, the characters. You've got this church, and he writes this to seven different um, churches. And if you look at, it's, this is all kind of in Asia Minor, like in modern-day Turkey. If you look at where these cities were on the map, the way he orders speaking to them, it's, it would make like a loop. And so John writes them this letter. He's on an island, exiled uh, as kind of a, um, a bother to Rome because he's a Christian. He sends this letter, and what they would have done is they would have sent it to each of those churches. They would have taken turns reading it. And so really, like, they kind of they get to read each other's mail. Like, they get to hear about the bad stuff about each other, but, like, they also know people are hearing the bad stuff about them. And now we're getting to read their mail, too. We're reading people's mail. That's what we're doing. We're reading ancient people's mail. But God has done this because he, is, he wants us to see ourselves in this. And what the Laodiceans are like, like, if a Laodicean came, let's just say she's a girl and she comes to the University of Texas. She's from Laodicea. She would totally be in like a big six sorority. Whichever one of those it might be. And depending on what sorority is you're in, like you may think that you're in the big six or maybe you're not. Who knows? Anyway, she would be in the big six. She would drive a great car. She would have great skin. Like people would ask her about her moisturizing regimen every once in a while, probably. Um, she would have like a four to one follower to following ratio on Instagram. And she would like keep it tight four to one, you know, wouldn't let things get out of hand with that. And like her Instagrams would have like, she would be, like, Instagramming herself, eating, like, amazing food that would, that's, like, really bad for you, and yet, like, she looks great in a cocktail dress or, like, yoga pants and a quadruple XL t-shirt. And, like, that's just who, if a Laodicean girl came to Texas, that's who she would be. Because 
and, and I'm getting some of this from, um, this is from a New Testament scholar named Vern Poitras. He's his PhD from Harvard. He's a doctor of ministry from Cambridge. The dude knows his stuff. And he said that there's some really interesting things if you, about the city of Laodicea at that time. First off, it was a really rich city, very wealthy. And uh, so much so that there's, there's documentation from other ancient documents that when like, a major earthquake happened in Laodicea at that time, that, or it happened in that region, all the other cities asked for aid from Rome, and Laodicea was like, we're good. Like, we can build this city back up on our own. That sounds like a Texan, right? Like, we got this. And, like, they were, they were very self-sufficient and wealthy. And, and part of this was because of their economy. They were known uh, in the textile industry for producing large amounts of a really fine kind of black wool that would be used in really good, like, nice clothes. Um, so they're known for, you know, producing really great clothes. They're also known for their, their guild of physicians that they had in the city, particularly for this eye salve that they produced, that they made, that um, was said to have healing properties. So this city kind of has it going on. Big picture, you know, they're wealthy, they're producing these great clothes, it's medicinal stuff for, for your eyes. And then the second character comes around in this story, and it's Jesus. And did you see how he identifies himself in the beginning of th- that passage in chapter 3? He says, the words of the Amen. Now, Amen um, is, it's a, it's a Greek word. And if you are reading in like a Greek New Testament, when Jesus will begin saying something sometimes, and he'll say, Amen, Amen, and then begin speaking. And when when that's translated into your New Testament. It's translated as truly, truly, I say unto you. Like, like John, I have this one. John 8, 34 is an example. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. When he says that, he says, amen, amen, I say to you. So the word amen means like truth. And Jesus, he, he says, I, the word of the amen to you, the faithful witness. He's saying, here's, here's, the person who is true, who sees things as they really are, and let me tell you about how you really are. Here's words from the person as, who sees reality and truth for what it really is. And these people who are known for being rich, for producing clothing, for having this salve that heals your eyes, listen to what he says about them. You're poor. You're not rich. I know you're known for making these nice clothes. You're naked. And he says, you're blind. Taking those three things that they're known for, he's saying, you know what? The real, the real you is poor, naked, and blind. Now, why does he say that? He says, he says, you're poor. You actually aren't, you actually aren't self-sufficient. And this is the reality of what it means to be a human. Because what we like to do is we put up a mask or front or whatever you want to call it to make ourselves look like we have it all together. And this is killing some of you right now. Like you are killing yourself trying to do this. Join the club. And like I was talking to some guys today and we were, we were saying about how, how tempting it is even in like the UT culture to think about like your job and what you're going to do and about how you, you really want to just accumulate wealth. 
how that's going to be so tempting. Why? So that I can have security. So that I can be okay. So I can get into the neighborhood that I want to be in or have the kind of house that I want or have the kind of family that I want or have the kind of vacations I want. I want to be secure. I want to be okay. But the reality is, getting those things, they don't actually make you okay. I was a pastor in Houston for uh, six years as a youth pastor. And uh, the, the demographic of the people that we had going, coming to that church was not only privileged people, but we had a lot of privileged people uh, who came to our church. And I remember driving through some of the neighborhoods where they live in Houston and like knowing, their, knowing these people that we loved who are wonderful people, but also knowing the, their stories and the brokenness that some of their kids were experiencing, even, at the, even from their own parents. Just abuse or divorce and cancer and <coughs> depression and anxiety. And you're driving through these neighborhoods and you see these beautiful homes. They just look immaculate. And it's a beautiful home on the outside and on the inside, there's just, there's just brokenness. And that's what we're like. Maybe beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, sinful and broken. Second thing that Jesus says to them is you're naked. We've talked about this in the last semester, but nakedness in the Bible, it's, it's the way that it's spoken about is it refers to being fully known. Like, when Adam and Eve were created in Genesis 1, the last thing that's said about them in Genesis chapter 1 is that they were naked and unashamed. Meaning like, Adam looked at Eve and Eve looked at Adam and they knew everything about the other and they weren't ashamed. They had perfect, this like wonderful perfect communion they shared with one another and with God. And the first thing that happens when they sin, read about this, this is so interesting, Genesis 3, they eat of the fruit of the garden, of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, and the first thing they do, they cover up. They cover up from God, they hide in the bushes when he's coming, but even before they hide from him, they hide from each other. They cover, because they see that they're naked and exposed. And so they hide, and that's what we do. We hide from each other. Because we're afraid if anyone sees the real us, that we'll be rejected. And unwanted. But here's the thing with God. Hebrews 4.13 says this, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So not only does he see us, Scripture tells us that we must give an account to him. And here's, okay, I've got to give you the bad news before I give you the good news. The bad news, as, what Isaiah 64, 6 says, is that even your righteous deeds, even the best things that you can do, says all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So even like the best thing that we can give him it's just not good enough to make us right with him. So we're, we're poor, we're naked, and then he says, 
you're blind to the reality of your, righteous, of your unrighteousness. You're blind. My friend, uh, he's the RUF campus minister at LSU, Andy Johnson. He said that, uh, he, so he played, um, he played baseball in college. I don't know how he did this, but he played baseball. He wanted, he wanted to be a fighter pilot. And they had a mandatory eye exam on the baseball team, and he thought he had aced it. Thought he just like went in, ace, you know, crushed the eye exam. I'm a baseball player, I can see everything great. And then they called two people in at the end of the eye exam who had failed, and he was one of them. And they checked him again, and he's like, he thought it was a total mistake. And then they put glasses on him. And he said, for the first time, I walked outside and I realized that license plates on cars are meant to be visible to the human eye. <laughs> he just like lived his whole life not thinking that like you're supposed to be able to read a license plate when you walk outside and you see a car. He was blind. He didn't know it. And here's the thing. If you were deceived, would you know it? No. Like, because you're deceived. And what Jesus is saying here to the church, I think, is that Laodicea, you think that you're self-sufficient. You think you're okay. You think you've got it all together. You're blind. Here's Here's my problem and a lot of our problems. Is a lot of times we don't actually think we're that bad. We just don't. We just don't think we're that bad. And if you think about the greatest commandment, someone comes up to Jesus in the Gospels and like, what's the greatest commandment? He's like, you know what? I'll tell you the greatest one and I'll give you a bonus one. I'll throw it in there. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if that's the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment, have you ever thought about what, what's the greatest sin? It's not doing something. The greatest sin is not doing something. It's not loving God and not loving your neighbor. And that doesn't mean like, the op, like not loving your neighbor isn't really hate. Because hate isn't the opposite of love. Do you know what the opposite of love is? Apathy. Not even seeing them. Not even seeing the person who's in need. I do that. That, that, would, that would tell me then that I'm a pretty big sinner. And not, even, and not only are we blind to those who need love and mercy, but we're blind to our own need for God's grace. That's the picture. Okay. And so what Jesus says is, Laodicea, because you think you're self-sufficient, you're lukewarm. Do you see what he said at the beginning? It's, kind, it's like a pretty vivid picture that Jesus paints. He says, I wish you were hot or cold. And I should have put a map on the slides, but like, if you, if you were to look at an old map of um, the ancient world, there's two cities right next to Laodicea. One it's called Hierapolis. It's in the west, and they're known for their hot springs. So people would go, like medicinal hot springs, you'd go and you'd bathe there. We still have those today. And then to, to the east, there was Colossae, where the book of Colossians is written to. They're known for their cold mountain water, great drinking water. Laodicea is right in the middle. And their, their water was foul. 
they actually had to have it piped in from really far away because their water there was so bad. They had it piped in, and by the time the, the, the water got to this nice, wonderful city that they're so proud of, they had this one thing that they were ashamed of. is their lukewarm water. It was gross and kind of worthless. And what Jesus is communicating to them is that in your self-sufficiency and thinking you're okay, you're lukewarm. You're, you're worthless. Those are strong words, I know. But the strong, have you ever noticed, if you're reading the New Testament, the people that Jesus has the strongest words about, it's not like the prostitutes or like the town drunks. Those people happen to love Jesus. And they're always hanging out with him. Do you know who's bothered by that? The religious people. They can't stand that Jesus is always hanging out with him. And Jesus' harshest words are reserved for the moral religious leaders. He calls them brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. I mean, he, he goes to town on those boys. And, here's, and some of them actually become Christians. Nicodemus, for example. But uh, he does that because he is trying to shake them and say, you you can't save yourself. You think that you could be good enough to be right with God, and you can't. And so, he tells them the hard truth about them, not because he's being a jerk. My brother told me not to invest in leather pants because he loves me. And Jesus is telling them the hard truth. Now look, thirdly, the invitation he comes to them and he tells them all these hard things about themselves. You're poor, you're naked, you're blind. But then look at verse 18. Are you poor? Come to me and buy gold for free. You naked? Let me give you pure and perfect white garments. Are you blind? Let me give you salve that you can see. See, you can see you for who you really are and me for who I really am. And why is he doing this? Why is he giving them that? Not because they're right. He's doing it because he loves them. He says it right there. He assures them as he's telling them this. He doesn't say, he doesn't get upset with them and just say, you guys are done. He, he says, listen, I'm rebuking you but I rebuke those whom I love. It's right there in the text. Look, I rebuke the ones that I love. And he assures them. Do you know why he's assuring them that? The reason he assures them that he loves them in their disobedience is because we don't think he actually does. We don't think that God loves us when we are sinners. And so he's rebuking them, but he's like, but listen, you're my church. Come to me and let me dress you and let me give you gold and let me heal your eyes. When you get, when you get this, that God loves sinners, it changes everything. When you experience love, when you are fully known for who you really are, it changes everything. So, 
my wife, Fiona, my, is Chrissy here? Chrissy, are you here? There she is. That's Chrissy. Y'all need to know her if you don't know her. So Chrissy and I have been dating for like, I don't know, 10 or 11 months? 12 months? A year? Who knows? Sorry. I don't know why I wanted to be precise about that. Anyway, um, we're dating, and like, I knew that I was going to ask her to marry me pretty soon. And I was like, but, but there are things about me. There's like the fine print of John Trapp's life and of my sin that she doesn't know. And that really I'd never told anyone about. And one night, I was like, I, she just, I can't like ask this person to marry me and her like, she needs to know what she's getting into. And I'll never forget, this is probably, this is one of the most significant moments of my life. Sitting on the couch with her and telling her the truth about myself. And I remember like my hands were shaking and I was so scared. And what she did is she reached her hand out and she said, I love you. She didn't move away from me. I thought she might like leave the room, get in her car. We were at her house, so I tricked her on that. She couldn't leave. Um, Fully known and loved. I'll take that. And when you rest in that, and you, it changes everything. That's what God holds out to you. Not that you have to like clean yourself up and get all looking right and start going to church and start reading your Bible all the time and then you can come to him and have a conversation. No. Jesus comes to this jacked up church who thinks they have it all together. Who have kind of put their lives together in this big pretty picture and they're dead inside. And he comes to them and listen, he doesn't say, sometimes preachers have used this verse about like, where it's a knock, I'm at, I'm at the door knocking for like someone who's not a Christian, say, hey, Jesus is knocking at the door. Are you going to open it? Mm, he's knocking at the door. You better open the door. Jesus is right there. He's talking to the church, telling them that he's knocking at the door. And what does he want to come do? Come over for supper? Like sit down and have a meal with them? Just see in the, like, I'll close with this story. Last year, when Florida State went to go um, visit, like, an, a middle school, and they just did, like, a visit to, like, go encourage some, some school nearby. And there was this picture that went viral. The picture of a kid named Bo Pask. Bo is autistic. He's in the sixth grade. And every single day at lunch, Bo sat alone. All by himself. And Bo's mom gets a picture, text message to her. And this enormous wide receiver from Florida State is sitting across the table from her son, Bo, Travis Rudolph, who's in the NFL now. He's sitting across the table from Bo, and they're having lunch. And like Bo's, and, you know, Bo's little like zipper, like lunch boxes there with his Lunchables, you know, and he's just been sitting there eating, and like Travis comes and sits right across the table from him. It changed Bo's sixth grade year. Totally changed. He wanted to have a meal with me. What Jesus is doing, he's knocking at the door, not because you're perfect and pretty and self-sufficient. He's knocking at the door 
because he wants to come have a meal with broken people because he loves them. And what he says is that if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. In just a second, we're going to sing a song that we sing here all the time, A Love That Will Not Let Me Go. If you're not the singing type, which I get it, it's okay. Just listen to the words. The true words that, and this is why we sing these old hymns like kind of crusty hymns sometimes at RUF, because the poetry is so beautiful. That God has a love that is so great that he will not let you go. Because he's for you and he's for sinners. So, if you don't know him, you can open the door and the one who knows you fully will come in. And he will eat with you. And if you want to know what that means, I'd love to get together and talk about that. And if you're a Christian and you've been like screwing up and you just think that he's fed up with you, come to him and buy gold. He will make you sufficient. And he'll love you. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you for the truth of the gospel. That we can come to you. That you know us fully. That you know us for who we really are. And yet, in Christ, because of his death, because of his perfect life and death on our behalf and resurrection, that we can come to you by faith and receive free grace, not for anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.